welcome to In Case You Missed It for the 16th of August 2020. Coming up on this week's programme, musician Mark Conker talks about his career as a teacher, a percussionist and now as a rugby coach. Phil Holmes, the creative director of Lightpool, an October festival that takes place in Blackpool, speaks to Chris Cadman about this year's Lumen event in Crewe. And Dave talks to Christina Quine, a local artist from Sandbach, about her work. Mark Conker is a professional musician, a teacher, a percussionist and a rugby coach. He appeared on Right Up Your Street earlier this week and spoke to Dave Fawkes. Welcome Mark, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Now Mark is a professional musician. Uh, he, he plays in a proper orchestra, you know, none of this, just pick up your guitar and, and on a street corner, he's, he's a proper trained uh, uh, musician, isn't that right, Mark? That's right, yeah, I'm a percussionist and timpanist. A percussionist and timpanist, you see, you don't get that, you don't get that by playing outside boots, do you? That's, that's a proper <laughs> Mark, um, what, are you a freelance percussionist do you sort of um just go to a particular orchestra and, and do your bit or are you assigned to one orchestra no yeah i'm uh, i'm self-employed so i'm freelance and i work for anyone who'll pay me really um but yeah so based in cheshire and i work for all the major orchestras in the northwest like the bbc philharmonic or the halle or opera north um, liverpool philharmonic cbso anyone who pay me to play really i don't mind that, <laughs> but, yeah, those are s- those are serious names mark that is that, that is are you sort of uh, if you can um if you can sort of enlighten me you are you at the sort of pinnacle of of the profession are you you know if you're playing in those orchestras that's serious stuff isn't it yeah yeah i'd say so really um it doesn't get me much better i mean we're very lucky in this country that the orchestras we have are they're absolutely world class uh, so yeah, playing playing for those sort of orchestras is an amazing thing to be able to do, or not be able to do at the moment. But yeah, an amazing, an amazing okay. way to make a living, really. Brilliant. And and when was the last time you actually appe- appeared in a concert or were part of a, a concert um, venue? Oh um, well, I think it was like March the thirty first, and it was uh, it was the BBC. It was actually in their studios, and it never got broadcast. We kind oh. of went to work and then walked away again that day. Okay. Um, yeah. So quite a while ago now good and um, i kind of know where you are percussionist but how does how does that fit into an orchestra do you are you an integral part of things i mean my vision of an orchestra is it's kind of violins and then stuff surrounds the violin is that how it works yeah not well kind of yeah um i mean an orchestra really is just an ensemble of a group of players and nowadays it can get can be very very diverse uh, but i mean being playing percussion it probably is the most diverse because we get to work with everybody percussion is really anything you hit um so the kettle drums the timpani you might be playing haydn with a chamber orchestra like manchester camarata or something and then another day an orchestra like the bbc philharmonic that is really diverse and, and does some really new innovative uh, projects and works uh, with crossover stuff like pop industry and and things uh, you can be playing anything you can be playing cuban congas and latin american stuff you know with bongos and things to play in the tambourine and the triangle at the back of a tchaikovsky symphony so yeah we, we kind of is that you what know, you get to play out. you know that thing in the 1812 overture where they got the cannons and do you get to play all that kind of stuff yeah all of that stuff oh. you know, we get to hit massive bass drums to simulate uh, oh. cannons and the, and the tubular bells you know to, to simulate the church bells yeah that's the, the bit that's the bit yeah. i mean then that yeah. that dangly yeah, thing <laughs> 
<gasps> How cool is that? Stuff, yeah. That's cool. Stuff, really. Okay, so you haven't been able to do all this since March. How how have you managed to? Well, I was going to say keep your hand in. How how have you managed to satisfy that musical thing that's inherent inside you? Yeah, well, it's difficult. Other than sort of playing for yourself, I mean, I've never practiced so much, which is a bit strange. It sounds crazy that we do practice, but when you're playing every day. You don't you don't really have the time to sort of get back down to the nitty gritty and, and sort of sit there doing lots of practice. Uh, so I've been doing quite a bit of that, but I've also been recording things for the internet, uh, little projects really, um, and, and it's starting to come back a little bit in the way of recording. But it's recording through your phone at home, uh, which is very very different. Learning how to use recording equipment, I've started to do now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's very very different different environment. Even though you're recording your part and sometimes using click tracks and, and backing tracks and things to record your part. You send it to somebody who puts it together and makes an amazing piece out of it. Uh, it's, it's still a very weird and, and unusual environment to be recording. But, yeah, that's one way of sort of keeping playing. Um, it's, Cause we're, we're really dying to get yeah, back in there. I've, so. heard, I've heard quite a few tracks that have been put together on the radio from, from the very method that you've said. People record bits in their own environment, in their own living room, and then they chuck it all together, and it sounds just amazing. Do, you know when you're in an orchestra and you're recording a bit straight off, is, is there, do you get like a reaction uh, which is missing when, you've, when you do that at home? Do you sort of is there a sort of sync with the other members of the orchestra that you don't get when you're recording at home? Hundred percent. That's I mean, live music. That's what it's all about, really. And yeah. and when you're recording a, a live orchestra, you're still doing live music. Really, everybody's interacting and playing together. We don't go in record separate parts. It's a quite an unusual thing to do for an orchestral player. Uh, so and that's effectively what we're doing. We're kind of layering up the parts, and then you really just leave it in the hands of the producers. Yeah. But I have to say, some of the some of the I mean the guys at the BBC are absolutely amazing. What they put together and how quickly they put it together. And I've seen. You know, working, trying to put things together with the youth ensembles that I run and stuff. It takes hours and hours and hours uh, of trying to layer things up. So the guys, you know, that can do it at the BBC so fast and so brilliantly, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Because normally you, you, you rely on the musicians to do that, the interaction with each other, to, to play together and tight. And, you know, one thing, playing with a metronome and playing with a click track, it's not... It's, 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 that's great, but it's not the same as interacting with yeah. other musicians. And, of course, uh, the conductor's missing as well, isn't he? Yeah, they still put themselves on there, but uh, I think that's uh, a bit of vanity, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> you, so you that... him on the video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll just wheel him in. He's got nothing to do with it, really, but we'll wheel him in anyway. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so, to be uh, fair, we, uh, we, we spend a lot of time not looking that okay. way. Okay. <laughs> how, did, how did you come about being symphony, then? Is it, uh, sorry, not symphony, uh, percussion. How, how did you gravitate to that? Well, um quite a long time ago now <laughs> at the age of about nine luckily um i mean in the late 70s and early 80s there were some amazing music organizations going on i started off with a marching band it was a scout marching band in, oh, yeah. in leicester um and they happened to be one of the best in the uk at the time so it was very lucky i wasn't quite big enough to carry a drum round on parades so i had to play a bugle for a while um, but i sat there with a practice pad hoping i could join in with them at some point and then when i was big enough I was allowed to have a drum, and yeah. then I went on to a brass band from there, a uh, local brass band that was fantastic, and ended up playing for some uh, amazing brass bands in the Midlands, and yeah. youth orchestras. The youth orchestras set up, they used to have buses go around the county, picking up 
kids from all over the place, uh, bringing them to a central um, place in Leicester to do the rehearsals. Yeah. And uh, we had an amazing symphony orchestra there, really amazing. Fabulous. Um, so I was very, very lucky, really, that, you know, there was, there was so much out there for me to get stuck into. Excellent. And that's what got me into orchestral music. Really. Super. And you've been passing your expertise and your knowledge onto, onto kids, haven't you? Uh, how's that working at the moment, then, Mark? Yeah, I do try my best. We, we've got... Um, I'm, I'm quite passionate about my teaching and I uh, teach and coach various different groups. One is the Love Music Trust percussion ensembles. We've got two um, in, based in Sandbach, but we draw players from all over Cheshire. And um, that's been quite challenging, a little bit different, um, but an amazing thing for the students. So the minute we kind of locked down, it was, it, reality kicked in. We couldn't do any more work or rehearsals. And these kids need challenging. So yep. we discovered Zoom, which I'm sure everybody... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a little bit sick of, <laughs> but um, Zoom um, and Teams uh, and some of these other um, platforms have been really an amazing, uh, amazing experience. So, what I've been doing is meeting them. Luckily, the Love Music Trust uh, uh, decided quite early on that they were going to pay me to run sessions weekly with them. Okay, and we kind of catch up and we we see each other, have a little chat with each other, and we've been doing a a similar sort of project to what we've just been talking about with the BBC. Only we've been doing similar projects where. Um, they've got a central office where somebody puts them together yeah. and um, we record separate parts and, and we've done some really, really good recordings. That the oh, students have that, so that's done like that same way as well where the, all the parts get put together. That's really cool. Yeah, the same way, but it, it's something that's really unusual for the students. So for me, you know, I, I've spent a long time working in recording studios and and uh, using headphones and click tracks and working in that way where students have never had to do this before. So they're the, we've, we're all learning and still learning quite a lot um, of what you can and can't do and how not to do something. I mean, yeah. the first thing students send you is a, a recording of themselves and that they're all so um, embarrassed to see themselves that they're, <laughs> they're recording. And they, you can't see their face, so they just take a picture, you know, they just video their hand yeah, yeah. playing a marimba or something. And, and <laughs> so you have to say, look, guys, you know, we actually do want to see your face. face yeah. We want to see you playing the instrument. Because I think, you know, uh, kids are all techied up, aren't they? They, they probably know much more yeah. than you and I have ever forgotten. Um, okay, so so we, we that's excellent that we're, we're harnessing your talents while things are uh, as they are. If you had a crystal ball, Mark, when do you think, uh, I hate using the word normal because it's not going to be normal yeah. for a long time, is there any inkling of a timetable in your head as to things where we might be able to go on and hear you play live once more well there's this normality uh, is going to be a long time i think we all feel that way certainly until there's a vaccine out there i think the problem is that the question you've given me is a very difficult one to answer because i can say when the kids might be going back with the schools and the education going back luckily we're percussion we're not singing we're not spitting on each other oh yes yeah good point and that's the kind of perception people have got with brass and wind as well we are big instruments that we can separate each other we can socially distance we can wear ppe so we're actually intending to get the students back together playing in september so i mean that'd be fantastic we may not be able to play to audiences for a while but we can certainly rehearse together so that we're really looking forward to yeah that. yeah get that um from my perspective i think it'll be a long time um, I, I may be able to get back in the studio. Um, it's the audience that's the difficult one to overcome. I think even if audiences are allowed back in, which at the moment they kind of are, there's no confidence that there's going to be enough people there to come and watch 
for it to be commercially viable to open the theatres and the concert halls. So and until that point, really, I can't see us getting back to any kind of normality. Um, so, yeah, sadly, I don't know whether you've seen that all the theatres and, and Wembley did it. They've been lighting everything up in red over the last couple of days. No, I haven't. What's that, what's that all about, Mark? What, what? Yeah, it's a campaign that's going on to the sort of remind people that these massive places like the Royal Albert Hall, um, uh, the Manchester Concert Halls, you know, the Bridgewater Hall, yeah. and uh, places like Wembley have been lighting up their venues in bright red just to sort of highlight to people, hello, we're here, but we are still not doing anything, no. we? we're not working, you know. Well, um, without getting too political, I think the government just do yeah. have to wake up here, don't they, and think, you know, we could lose a lot here of our national heritage, and people like you, um, you know, might drift away and do other things, and it would be very, very difficult to get it back. Now, uh, you uh, picked out a couple of uh, pieces of music, and I managed to locate one of them. Um, it's a, by a... a, a uh, a group or a, a, an ensemble called the Hacienda Classical. Is that something you got involved with, Mark? Yeah, uh, it was a brilliant recording, actually. The only reason I picked that track, I thought it was a fantastic track, and uh, just kind of reminds me of some of the fun times that we were having before the lockdown. Um, the other track that I picked was a, a real um, clash with that one. It was a really different end of the spectrum, which was shot at COVID-11, uh, which was a prom that I did with the BBC to, um, this time last year that was a really amazing piece of music. But both both are really amazing, but for different reasons. The Hacienda Classical was really one of the first. It was Manchester Camerata in conjunction with Pete Hook from New Order, who also used to um, own the famous Hacienda nightclub. Oh, yes, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was working with some amazing DJs like Pickering, uh, Graham Park and uh, this one so it was um, We've Got the Love is, uh, sorry You've Got the mm. Love is just an amazing track and, and crossing over uh, classical orchestral stuff with um, dance music that I grew up to was just yeah. a really exciting project that we did and it, it toured all over the place to Glastonbury uh, Isla White festivals and yeah. all the major concert halls to yeah. sell out um, performances at the Royal Albert Hall and uh, it was just a brilliant project that we did and, and it, off the back of that we kind of ended up, I ended up doing some with Ministry of Sound and uh, the IB, the classical. Wow, it's really? Kind of started oh. off, but yeah, it's kind of revived, revived the whole scene. Now, you, you know, the guys that are out there at the, at the age of 19 to 20, etc., now are in the 40s and 50s, but yep. they want to go back and now they've got an orchestra sort of... Uh, Alongside, you know, these amazing DJs, fabulous, and, and great. Well, singers. we're gonna we're gonna hear um, we're gonna play your section out with that. Mark, I'd like to say thank you so much. And it was so eloquently done and and fascinating stuff to hear about how an orchestra functions, how you functioned um, uh, in lockdown, like a lot of other people have had to do different things. Thank you, Mark, so much uh, for coming on. Please, when things get uh, a little bit on a little bit different, when you've got back to school, maybe and things in the stride will you come back and give us an update yeah definitely when we hopefully get closer to normal great it's stuff. been a pleasure thanks Dave Bill Holmes is the creative director of the Lightpool Festival he appeared on the perfect afternoon to talk to Chris Cadman earlier this week Phil, great to have you join us here on The Cat. Um, something a bit special, because Lightpool have been awarded the contract to do our fabulous, fabulous Lumen this year. So, uh, what, Lightpool, who are they, Phil? That's probably not a name that's familiar to people in Crew and Antwich, or maybe so, I don't know. 
Oh, no, we're famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're famous, but I've read the blog. <laughs> I'll let you off. So, so Lightpool Festival is a two-week festival that we run in Blackpool during October half-term. Um, started in 2016. Um, and it's now part of Blackpool Illuminations to add something a bit extra uh, to the illumination season. And, and, and the idea is to get people out of their cars um, and see some amazing artwork in the town centre. You know, pieces that have been designed by international artists, some work by local artists. Um, there's a lot of work that we do with colleges and education to help with their degree. So we do a lot of projection mapping work. Um, and we're going to bring some of those amazing things to crew for Lumen Crew this year. Well, it's great. I mean, obviously, it was out for tender, and you won the tender. Um, and so, for the people of Crewe, I mean, have been a bit spoiled over the last couple of years. I mean, the, the thousands and thousands of people who it literally takes the encompasses the whole of the town centre. So, Phil, you've talked a little bit about maybe what we can expect, some of the things without giving the secrets away, because I think we like to sort of keep it a little quiet about what people are going to see. But what sort of things are you going to see on the streets? What sort of things are you going to see in the town centre? I think it will look different this year, obviously, than normal years because we can't do the big switch on. Um, it's not possible to do the firework display because of the current restrictions. Um, so, so what we've arranged is that we will do an art trail around crew um, that people can take in at their own leisure that we can make sure is socially distanced. Um, obviously, we don't know what situation we're going to be in by the time crew gets here, um, but they will be able to see a kind of a wide variety of things. There'll be some light-up artwork. There'll be some um, key um, illumination features that we're bringing to um, crew for people to see up close and personal. There'll be lots of photo opportunities. Um, we're doing some projection mapping work. And we're also doing a project that we're calling Wheel of Crew. And what we will be doing shortly is asking people to submit photos of their favourite location in Crewe. Um, it doesn't have to be professional. You know, we want people of all ages to take part in this. And we will then be illuminating these into illumination boxes. Um, there'll be about 35 to 40 of them uh, that people will be able to see in the square all lit up of things that they've submitted. So a nice chance for people of Crewe to get involved in this as well. Yeah, it sounds great, and certainly we can help here. If you send us the details, we'll put it on the CAT website and we'll publicise that That would be fantastic. You. Thank you so much. I mean, the challenge, I think, Phil, for all of us is, is COVID, isn't it? We really don't know what it's going to be like by the time we get to the end of November, and I think that's the challenge for us all. It, it is, and it's a big challenge for us. You know, we appreciate that in previous years people have, you know, got on the fun fair and done different things and got up close and there was the parade. And, you know, in all realism, that won't be possible this year. So we've had to, you know, kind of reinvent things, you know, with the blessing of the, the team at Crew to say, let's plan for the worst that, you know, social distancing will still be here, but still give people the opportunity to view these things. So maybe not as many things inside buildings where people have to go in and out but things that people can see you know from the outside with the artwork fairly spread out um so that as people take the time you know you're not going to get those big queues um and it is spread over 16 nights so mm. you know a lot of time for people to see things as opposed to one big night where you get a huge crowd all at once. Yeah, I think that's, the, <clears throat> to me, that's the big difference, you know, whereas as, uh, previous Lumens have been, you know, one or two nights and obviously the mapping, and we should explain to people that mapping is what we did on the uh, town hall uh, last year. Yeah, that's the piece where you, you make the town hall look something different because of light mapping. Yeah? Um, that's what happened last year anyway. So, yeah, 16 nights, so radically different than the two big, as you say, the Big Bang two nights that we had last year. 
Yeah, I, I think as well, the, the major factor, I mean, obviously originally we were looking at still doing the, the big night uh, with lots of performance and we had some fantastic ideas for that. Um, but COVID came and we just thought, well, we can't do that, so we have to do something else. And, you know, I think we bring some fantastic expertise in doing that. We're used to dealing with large numbers of people, um, walking past things, viewing things, stopping to view things. Um, that it, it will feel different, there's no shadow of a doubt, but there will be some amazing things there for people to see, you know, photograph and take home great memories and also be very proud of crew. You know, we're doing this, um, the Wheel of Crew things that I previously mentioned, where the people of crew will be able to get involved in that and see their hard work in lights as part of this art trail. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that sounds fabulous. And obviously, uh, here at The Cat, we've been involved for the last couple of years. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring some live entertainment, potentially, uh, so we can play some music, or certainly we can do a, maybe an outside broadcast from the event uh, to keep people who, are, who can't come along on a night, uh, to keep them involved. But as you say, hopefully, they'll come back and see something. So, will the 16 nights, will there be something different on those 16 nights, Phil, or is it, is it basically the same throughout the whole 16? It is the same throughout the 16. We, we, we toyed with doing things where maybe we'd do something for two nights here and two nights there, but we, we, our experience has shown us that people tend to get a bit confused with that. It's not always that easy to, to get that over. So as much as we can keep there for the, for the 16 nights, uh, we will do. And of course, we'd be delighted for you to come along and we'll explain the artwork in detail so that your listeners understand what is out there and hopefully they'll want to come and see it on the art trail. Yeah, absolutely. We'd certainly like to get you uh, back on the uh, show in a few weeks, months time so we can, we can certainly uh, get, make people aware of it. But going back to that question I asked you earlier, I think one of the things that most people said last year was, oh, I missed it. I really wanted to see that. And I didn't get right. the opportunity. So the fact that we're doing it over 16 nights this year, obviously that gives a, a much broader uh, option for people to come along and not only see it once, but maybe see it a few times. Well, we, we hope so. You know, there are things that people say, oh, I came back and I actually missed this tiny bit or I didn't see this or in the projection piece, I didn't notice that before. So, so that's great. And, you know, because it is so spread out, people can see it from, you know, whichever experience they want to get it they can start at what we call the end and work backwards or the front or come and see things or they may be driving past and think you know what is this i didn't know about it we've got a full marketing strategy that we'll be developing to make sure that as many people know about this as possible we're working with local businesses to promote it and get them involved so you know we're heavily invested in this festival to make it an amazing experience for the people of crew well, your title, Phil, is Creative Director of Light Pools. Does that mean that the responsibility for what actually is going to be in Lumen falls on your shoulders? It does. But I've got a very big shoulder, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mind about that. All right. So uh, let's come back to something you mentioned earlier. Obviously, one of the reasons that made you a perfect choice was your involvement with Blackpool Illuminations and obviously Lightpool and the things that you do there. How's COVID impacted that this year, do you think? I think that the biggest thing is the illuminations, they've decided to extend them um, until the 3rd of January. So it's extended our season quite a lot, which brings with it its own problems. We all know what the weather can get like. Mm -hmm. And obviously you have the restrictions on social distancing. So everything's taking a lot longer, um, you know, to repair, to make and also to install. But we have a great team here. They've got years of experience. They know what they're doing. Um, and, you know, they will deliver. They work extra. They work at night if they have to, to make sure, you know, as they say, that the show goes on. 
Yeah, I think people forget that. If you look at the size of the illuminations in Blackpool, that's not something you put together in a night, is it? I mean, that's months. That's You're probably starting the work the day the, the illuminations finish for the next year, and it's going to be the same for crew. As you say, so much going on, this is going to be something that's going to take a little while to build. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been kind of, you know, going on. We've been thinking of ideas, you know, kind of even before we got the tender going back to May. So, so this isn't something that just happens overnight. And we're working with Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London um, to do work with their students towards their degree. And, and again, that's not something that you can just throw in the last minute. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of work. And, you know, again, I, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but we have got the experience to do that and, you know, to work those hours to make sure that it goes in and gets delivered on time. That's great. Well, Phil, we certainly look forward to it. As I say, um, the bar has been set pretty high in crew. Unfortunately, you've got the COVID bar that has obviously thrown a little bit of a curveball in there, but we're really excited to see what you bring to the town. And that's on the 29th of November. It starts on the 29th of November is what I believe. So 69th... Uh, the 27th. Oh, 27th. My apologies. Yeah. yeah actually, get me it's facts all right. right. Get me it's facts right. right. I'll so, make sure you get an invite to the opening well, house. Well, you know, well, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was with Ben the mayor last year and we were pressing the button to switch on the tree and everything else but as you say a little different this year so uh, we'll find a button for you to press well that's thank you I'm sure we will well Phil thank you so much for giving us time it's I know you're a busy guy certainly and as uh, you've got the illuminations and light pool and all the other bits and pieces to go as well as crew yeah you definitely got broad shoulders there so thanks for joining us today we look forward to talking to you again nearer the time and obviously we'd uh, we'd like to hear more that so we can promote it and get those photographs for you you're listening to a podcast from the cat. Christina Quine is a watercolour artist from Sandbach, where wildlife and animals are the main focus of her work. Dave spoke to Christina this week on The Cat. The uh, the lovely Christina is a very, very, um, well, I was going to say proper artist, but you yeah. you draw things as, as they actually look. Um, I, I've seen a couple of your paintings, and I'm thinking that just looks almost like a, ph- a photograph. It isn't. I can tell it isn't, and I can tell the work and the detail that you've put in. Is that your... Is that classed as a particular style of painting? Um, It's classed as realism painting. I'd say that's what I try to achieve anyway. Okay. So, yeah. And... And in terms of realism, obviously, I, I've seen a couple of the wildlife things that you've done. Um, birds, you, you did a heron. And, yeah, uh, that was one of my most recent ones. That, that is just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, you must be very patient to, to sort of literally, uh, listen, to every feather, every little detail was in that. It was just, the, the, the detail on it was amazing. Is that... Is that something that comes easy to you, Christina? Yeah, I think so. I don't know why. I just like to... I mean, I aim to try and capture as much detail as possible in my paintings. It's like... It's, I just think, you know, capturing all the sort of different feathers, like you say, is just... You know, it's what brings it to life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, in terms of the that particular one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it was a heron. It was a beautiful picture, absolutely stunning. You would love it on your wall. How long did that take from start to finish? Probably, I mean, I spent spent a few hours a day on it. You know, up to from you know four hours to six hours a day. So probably, you know, between. 
20 and 30 hours, if not more. Sometimes the time passes quite quickly, so it's quite difficult to gauge how long yep. I've spent on it just because I just get absorbed into it. And you're in the zone then, are you? Yeah. Okay. And, and in terms of um, the subject, you, you also do a little bit of photography as well. Do you start yeah. off with a photograph and go, right, okay, I'm going to take lots of photographs for argument's sake of a kingfisher. I'm going to take hundreds yeah. of them and then I'm going to capture the essence of a kingfisher from those photographs. Is that how it works? Yeah, it's a mix of that. I mean, I tend to try and, like, I go out and I take photos of, you know, whatever birds I find. I did manage to capture one of the kingfisher once, but it was quite far away, so it wasn't the best photo. But I do need it to be really high detail to be yep. able to capture all those feathers um i tend to use like the best shot from from the photos i've taken and then i draw it out and then i paint it so that's how it sort of, that's how it goes now i i've done very very limited <laughs> things i fancy myself as some kind of an artist i'm not entirely sure what there's a few people at the station say, yeah, you are a bit of an artist. <laughs> but, but I tend to go, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, that, that bit's not quite right, but it doesn't matter. Whereas I guess that's something that you definitely don't do. Yeah, no, I'm definitely very critical about my own paintings. And a lot of the time I'm like, is this going to turn out okay? And it normally does, but it's just like those first few sort of hours of painting, and you're like, is this going to turn out all right? And if there's something slightly wrong... You know, I'll go back and forth to the picture and what I'm painting and make sure that it's... As so do you, you find... I mean, I don't know the technique of this. Do you just paint over the top of the bit that doesn't look right? Um, it, with watercolour, you can't really change what you put down as much. Yeah. So if you put, like, a very dark mark on it, you can't really take that off as easily. You can a bit. But, you know, once it's down, it's very once difficult it's to remove. Once it's down, oh, It's kind of like, it's kind of like you only get a couple of chances at what you're doing, and then you build up the layers. Right. Okay. Mm. Oh, crikey. That pressure would be on for me. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't do that. Now, listen, you just don't acquire that skill, do you? You've, I, the, some of it, I'm guessing, is inherent. You were born with it, basically. Mm. And the, the rest of the skill you've developed. Can you just sort of talk us through your journey to becoming the artist that you are now yeah so basically i've got quite an artistic family background my grandma was an artist and my mum is an artist so she does quite a lot of different things and i remember seeing her when i was younger doing a drawing of me and i was like wow how how did she do that like how is that possible um so i was like and that's that's what i want I like i want to be able to do that so i sort of started to draw and paint like Yep. ever since then always loved art in class at school um, then I went on to university and studied art I mainly did photography at university yeah but that was because it was more like out there stuff and does um, that help does that help you now do you have you got uh, what's called a photographer's eye do you see something and go oh that would make a good subject yeah yeah does that help does it like, yeah definitely okay. I think the two combined really work with one another because I can sort of go, yeah, that's that's a good photo. Well, I think anyway. I don't want to say it definitely is, but um, okay. Um, I'm curious. You're back in in primary school, let's say, and mm -hmm. and you're drawing a house like we all drew a house. Was yours demonstrably better than than some of the other kids in the class? Did, did the teacher <laughs> go, oh my goodness, Christina? What you know, was it was it that obvious it's when you were a young? Yeah, I think I remember being in year three, actually, and we had to draw, like, one of our shoes. Yeah. And mine was quite... Mine 
well, everyone did comment on how good it was, so don't want to, like, blow my own whistle, but it's like... That was good that back then. Yeah, so you kind of knew you were good yeah. at it back then. Oh, good for yeah. you. Then your your style of painting, you call that detailed. It, if you look at the what I would call famous painters, painters that I would know the name of, w- yeah. what what style is yours most aligned to? If I said to you, tell me somebody who um, who's that kind of similar style to what you'd be, what would it be that I would know the name of? you would know the name of because like a lot of the time realism stuff doesn't tend to be done in watercolour because watercolour tends to be more of a oh loose yeah, loose yeah. Style. So, that's, yeah. so when I say I try to do something a bit different a lot of people tend to say is that a drawing and I go no it's a watercolour painting and then they're quite surprised yeah by that. me included um, me included yeah. <laughs> so is it was Constable um, he was a landscape painter wasn't he yeah. Was he in watercolour? Do you um, know? Am I putting you on the spot here? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, it's just, I'm trying to get an idea. I mean, I know that I've seen a couple of your things. I don't know. The detail in that is just amazing. Is that... Would the old masters in painting have done something like that detail? Is it like um, a Titian or something like that, is it? Or am I barking up the wrong tree here? Yeah, I mean, there's an artist that you won't know called Raymond Ching, and he does amazing, highly detailed watercolour, doing yeah. the same kind of style as, as me. That's kind of where I kind of thought, wait, that that's what I kind of want to do, because I enjoyed doing watercolours, Yeah, but then I wanted to follow a line of... Okay. So I'm, I'm at home, I'm bored stiff, I'm in lockdown, I'm thinking, oh, do you know what, I'd like to try and paint. What, what would be your advice to people who may think, want to pick up a paintbrush or a, or a pencil and, and have a go? What would your advice be? Just go for it. Like, art is kind of, you know, it's not so, like, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think. Yeah as much you know you could just just do it get a pencil start simple or start doing you know shading and build it up it's not something that you can just go and do you have to sort of you have to just get it on the canvas and if you make a mistake well that's just yeah just just carry just carry on and keep doing it would you advise people starting off in watercolor or would you think you just go to maybe go to the works get a load of those acrylics and just have a bash is that is that probably a better route yeah i mean i'd say try lots of different styles like you can maybe start off in pencil because you know everybody has pencils it's quite easy to just pick up a pencil start getting the kind of basic structures of what you want to draw and then you can try out acrylic or watercolor depending on what okay you, know, you could try acrylic and then try watercolor if it doesn't work super and is there a, is a particular subjects you, i mean most people say right well, i'll draw i'll draw like a house and uh, i'll draw um, some background hills and a bit of sky yeah. is it better to concentrate on something like i don't know an apple or a jug of milk or something like that is it is, it, is still life better than landscape to start off with yeah i'd say so because then you can concentrate on the one thing in front of you yeah and you can go back to it at any point whereas with landscape you have to be in that place or you, know, you could take a picture of it but it's quite good to have things in front of you and try and draw got you from it like an apple like you say okay great start start reasonably small and then build up okay um you're um obviously a 
professional and recognised artist. How would um, how would people who are listening at the moment access your work? What's the best way to get a look at what you do? So I've got a website which is christinaquine.co.uk or I've got Facebook as well. I mean, my website is where I've got where you can like buy my prints and things like that or send a message to me okay so christina quine is that all without any dots or anything like that is it just as it is yeah it's just the one okay well don't worry listener because i'm going to give the 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 address out uh, for you to have a look at uh, some of the wonderful work that christine absolutely stunning you'll go that's a photograph that is a photograph and then you look closely and go oh no it isn't it's just and you capture the little mood of the bird oh just wonderful okay well well thank you so much i'm sorry we got off to a bit of a false start there but i'm so glad we persevered and the line came through in the end uh we we played your ellie goulding tune i've i've found one by elton john called sweet painted lady yeah. <laughs> I know you're not a painted lady, but you're a lady who paints, so I think that's close yeah, enough. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll do. That's perfect. <laughs> so just give us that website address one more time. It's christinaquine, Q-U-I-N-E, Q-U-I-N-E. If you type in my name in Google, it'll come up. Well, we'll make sure we give uh, people the opportunity to, to grab a pen and a paper, and uh, we'll do that definitely before the end. Uh, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure, uh, and uh, you, the, your drawings are as good as, as your voice. Uh, you've come across very well on the radio, so excellent, excellent. Well, if anyone has any questions, they can just email me or message me or whatever. You know. Is your email details on the website? Yeah, everything's on the Oh, perfect. Uh, that's brilliant. Christina, uh, do you, what's your next thing that you're going to paint, do you know? Um, I'm currently working on a tortoiseshell butterfly. Oh, a tortoiseshell yeah. oh, oh, that. But I'm trying to make that really realistic. So you can check out, I've posted a picture to my Facebook page so you can see how... See on that as well. Oh. And how far has that off been finished then? Um, I've done one out of four wi- four little wings, so... Oh, it's got four wings. The way there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's got That's going to be intricate. Oh, well, we, we wish you the best of success with your butterfly. And uh, that's you. absolute pleasure to speak For to you. For more information about Christina and her work, you can visit www.christinaquine.co.uk. That's it for this week's edition of In Case You Missed It. We'll be back next week for another look at the last seven days on the cat and in our local area. Go to listen.thisisthecat.com for more podcasts and more ways to listen.